This week on The Reverse Stick, Simon Mason joins us as we find out exactly what he hasn't done in the game. There's results, news and our Saturday out at the Pro League. And you are with The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. My name's John Lee and I'm joined every week by... Uh, Matt Allen, and it's a pleasure to be here once again, John. What a week of hockey we have had. Oh, it was all, smi- yeah, all smiles at the weekend, and you know what? We're officially accredited. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's a bit strange. Much, much, <laughs> much more on that coming up later in the show. Yes, we'll share our Pro League experiences with you. We'll also get through a few results and issues from the week, and um, chat to Simon Mason. I'm looking forward to that. That's right, not far away with that one too. And of course, this is episode 83, John. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If it's the first time you've joined us, then, uh, you know, hopefully you'll stay along to the end. If you've listened to all 82 episode, <laughs> episodes so far, thanks very much, Kevin. Um, then, uh, yeah, you know, it's just going to be more of the same. News. Should we get through some results first? Yeah, up? where do we Got start, John? field hockey... No, we're not going to do any FI, We're not going to do any FIH Pro League results, are we? Cause you can I'll just run through the game results. Okay, quickly. Okay, first for the women's, uh, New Zealand lost to Germany 3-1. Australia beat Great Britain 3-0. The US lost to the Netherlands 5-0. And New Zealand got over the top of China 2-0. On the men's side of things, Spain and Netherlands had a very th- enthralling 3 all draw. And then Spain once again... 3-1 up in the shootout. They're becoming the masters of that. Uh, Great Britain and Australia here in Perth, a 2-0 win to the Aussies and New Zealand took on Germany on Sunday and a 3-1 victory to the New Zealanders there. To the Germans. Just, sorry, Germans, yep, got that one wrong. Um, on to some other matches, some test matches. Thailand and Singapore played a couple of tests. Um, both games won by the Thais, 1-0 in the first game and 5-0 on the second game across the 16th and 17th of February. And there's a series going on at the moment between Italy and Scotland in Rome. And uh, it started on the 18th. Italy got over the top of Scotland 5-1 in that game. On the 19th of Feb, they played uh, a 2 all draw. And the next game's going on tomorrow, 21st of Feb at 10am. So by the time you listen to this podcast, you will know that result if you've been following the socials. Uh, maybe Scotland will turn the tide in that last game and sort of draw the series, if that's what they do with these series things these days. They do indeed. So that's all, that's basically the only results I've got because you've got a whole lot of indoor stuff as well. Uh, well, of course, we had the Euro indoors all being streamed on EuroHockeyTV.org. Another great job there from the EHF. Fantastic stuff. And, and a great way to come home after the Pro League to switch <laughs> on the computer and watch all that EHL stuff going on Saturday night. It was fantastic. It's as if it was made for you, John. I was working, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, yeah, an absolute shock in the uh, the men's tournament. Uh, Germany's uh, stranglehold on the tournament. I'm, I'm reading that from the hockey paper, actually. The stranglehold is, uh, is gone. It's the first time, uh, no, it's only the third time in European history that there wasn't a German team in the final. Uh, now, Partiel of Sweden, Sweden, yes, they were the men's winner in the uh, Indoor wow. Club Cup and uh, beating the hosts SV Armenian from Vienna in the final. An incredible result from them there. Um, their route to the final, they had a 6-6 draw with uh, Amsterdam, an 8-2 win over Rottweiss Vettingen, uh, and lost 8-6 to UHC Hamburg um, in, the, in the round games. Um, 
UHC went out to Armin in in, in the semis, and uh, yeah, the Swedes Partia got it done for the first time ever for a Swedish team. So well done to them there yeah. uh, on the women's competition. Uh, it was the Dutch side Laren beating the Russian champions Dynamo Elektrostal 3-1 in the final in Hamburg. Uh, in the indoor club trophy for women, uh, Bowden High Town got up. Uh, and uh, took out the title then. Of course, Bowden had uh, uh, pretty good Jaffa Super Sixes, um, but didn't make it through to the final. They went out to Buckingham, didn't they? But they, all their stars were firing um, in Europe. So they'll make, well, they won't, but a, an English side will make their way into the top tier for the women's competition next year. Oh, it's good news for English indoor. Just while we're on indoor as well, we've got the yeah. South African uh, IPTs coming up we uh, have. over this weekend. Uh, check out Hockey 24-7 and the great work from Tyron Jabu Barnard. He'll be bringing you all the news live and direct from there. Before we leave South Africa as well, Select yep. Damons has retired or announced her an international retirement this has week. 198 games. Oh, two more. Two more. Uh, quickly to India, we had the uh, the women's national yes. A division finals. Now I caught the semis. I got a little bit of the uh, third, fourth place, and and a little bit of the final there. Uh, Good to see it streamed. Fantastic, and you could watch that on uh, Hockey India YouTube, on Hockey India Facebook page, and of course uh, on FIH Live. And it was a double for the Railway Sports Promotion Board. The men's uh, the men won the competition last week, and it was a five nil win for the women in the final against Hockey Madhya Pradesh. And uh, it's the sixth consecutive time that they've won the title there. Uh, in the third, fourth playoff game, it was a 3-2 win for Haryana over Maharashtra. Um, Rani Rampal and Topeka in, the, in, in amongst the goals there for Haryana. So thank you, Hockey India, for sharing that with us. Uh, very quickly, Malaysia, Uni KL, another win there. They had a 6-1 win um, in their latest outing. They've got two more games to go. Nobody's going to catch them there. They're, uh, they're going to take out that, that title, no doubt. Uh, and quickly over to Nairobi. We had East Africa Hockey Fives happening there. Um, Kenya uh, Chui took out the gold. Kenya Simba the silver and Uganda the bronze in the three-team men's competition. Likewise in the women's Kenya Mbuni the gold. Kenya Tsuni <laughs> and Uganda third place. Doing very well. Doing it, John. Thanks very much. Uh, that's about it. What's been your results? Mas- Masters World Cup. We'll bring a okay. little bit of that com- coming up shortly, but that's uh, that's just t- taking place in Hong Kong. And uh, we'll have a bit of more audio for Masters World Cup next week, hopefully, when I get around to chopping up all the good work from our mate Teo. Yeah, all um, you need to know: all German wins. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and a few bronze for the Aussies. Just a couple of things coming up. Of course, the Pro League's on again this weekend, and it centres around Argentina. Basically, on um, the Friday afternoon, the men and women from Argentina will be taking on Germany or the. 22nd, is that the Friday? Uh, no. Yeah? Yeah, Friday, and on the Sunday uh, it'll be Argentina taking on the Netherlands, and squeezed in between that on the Saturday, Great Britain are up in China, the women taking on China. I hope so. Yeah, they'll be looking forward to that trip, no doubt. Any more news? Oh, we've got news news. There's other things happening around the place as far as news goes. I've got one here for you. Go on. Did you know that uh, following a recent tender process, England Hockey is delighted to confirm the appointment of Who's the Umpire, or WTU, as the provider of its centralised officiating management system? This process has come from ongoing consultation between England Hockey and all 37 umpiring associations. 
37 Hockey Umpiring Associations, the yeah. HUAs, in case you're wondering. Yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> regarding the common IT system to meet the current and future requirements of the HUAs in servicing matches and umpire development at all levels of the game, England Hockey would like to thank representatives from HUAs for their input into this process. Um, What's going to change? The official management system, the OMS, will consolidate and drive all elements and stages of England Hockey Umpire Development Pathway. It will engage with England Hockey's Hockey Hub and Accreditation System. And there's a lot more information about this. You can go to where I got the story from, dragflick.com. If you'd like to know more information, if you're an umpire, if you're an association, a club wanting to get involved with it in England, or even internationally, if you'd like to see what exactly this involves... Get in touch with David Elworthy, the officiating relationship manager at England Hockey, and he's got an email address here. David with a capital D dot Elworthy, all lowercase, at englandhockey.co.uk. Thanks very much for that, John. I had to well that's David's David's that's our Keely shout out. David David's part of the hockey family as well, so you can yeah. get some of his writing you'll find on the hockey family website. It's interesting that they're sort of trying to centralise the whole thing of umpiring. We've had our criticisms of certain umpiring websites, etc. Yeah, FH umpires with a load of rubbish, that is. Or the, the good old, as the equivalent here of whistlers for hire, as it will be known in other countries, etc. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of the problem, as I find it, is that all you have to do is put your name on that particular Facebook page or whatever it is. 50 bucks in your pocket, mate. 50 bucks. Even if you don't turn, turn up. up. Yeah, well, turn up with a whistle. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you played the game or not. And it doesn't matter whether you're interested in the game or not. You can uh, make your 50 bucks. And I think we we got to start thinking about what happens if that's going to be the mechanism for our umpires to be appointed in, in years to come. I think to become an accredited umpire, you're going to have to pass more stringent field tests. Well, yeah. Anybody can sit and pass an exam, mate. It's the practical assessment that is the important one when it comes to sports umpiring, and that's the most important component of it all. But just quietly, the uh, you, you'll earn more money umpiring three or four games in Perth on a Saturday afternoon with cash in hand than you will taking control of FIH Pro League games. Really? Really. Oh, You're looking wow. at about 100 euros a game, something like yeah, that, no, plus your true. accommodation and, 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 and travel, but uh, it ain't a money spinner, that's for sure. No, it's not, and perhaps we've got to think a bit more about that in the future. Anything else as far as news goes? Uh, New Zealand? Well, we have. We'll, we'll cover New Zealand shortly. I reckon we should uh, get to our conversation with Mr Simon Mason. Good idea. <laughs> You are listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast, and it's an absolute pleasure to have Mr. Simon Mason joining us this evening. Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Now, uh, as we always do uh, on The Reverse Stick, we like to know people's hockey history and the origins and what got them into the game in the first place. So tell us about how you first picked up a stick or, or a pair of kickers. Um, I picked up a stick before a pair of kickers, uh, much to my coach's dismay because I was rubbish out on pitch. Um, <laughs> basically, I basically I changed schools. I changed schools age 12 and moved from Hertfordshire over to the West Country um, and ended up in a school called Catherine Lady Barclay School that sounds very grand for a nice comprehensive, um, but it didn't play any hockey at all. However, I had to, or my parents rather, appealed to get me in because it was outside the local area and the headmaster was a gentleman called John Law who at the time was the England under 16 manager and he ran an after school hockey club and just because we appealed to get into school got invited along to that 
um, played on the right wing and was fundamentally useless. Um, <laughs> as the story, as I, as I tell the story, is that I played right wing, right midfield, right half, right defender. Um, John claims it was an inspired coaching choice to then put me in goal. <laughs> my, my recount of the story was a conversation that said, Mason, you have two choices. Give up or go in goal. Um, uh, and that was it, age 13. Uh, I went in goal age 12, age 13, got picked for the England 16s. Wow. Uh, played three years for them, two years for the 18s, four years for the 21s. And in my final year of 21s, then got draw, uh, pulled up to the seniors, uh, which was kind of late. And actually, it was uh, late 92, I got an invitation that I then turned down, and I thought, because of the university exams, I thought, oh, God, the chance is gone. Um, but then got a second call up, and unfortunately for him, fortunately for me, David Luckus, who was one of the most fantastic goalkeepers I ever played with, he got injured just before the World Cup in Sydney in 94, and I played, and lucky enough, everything hit me, uh, and therefore, I kind of got <laughs> degree of success, and... The rest is in the stats books for 12 years, 13 years of senior international hockey. It's a bit of a leap there, Simon. 13, you started playing in goal, and you were playing for England under-16s within two, three years. Um, would you say you were, had a natural talent? Um, yeah, I want that. Certainly the coaches and the people that I worked with felt that I did. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was something ridiculous. It was 10 months from my first putting on a pair of kickers to being picked for England 16s. Wow. So it, it all happened pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess the guys choosing at the time, I just stuck some kit on, stood in goal, and thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it was fabulous. I couldn't profess that I was any better or worse than, than anybody else, but obviously the guys making the, the, the choices and the picks felt that I had something, and, and that carried through. Unfortunately, once you're in the system... Um, in England, the system's stronger now than it was, but even then, you're in the system, you're known about, you. therefore you get an invitation to a trial every year, and as long as kind of the, the simplicity of goalkeeping, stop little white thing going and being netty thing, <laughs> as long as, you see, goalkeeping is really complicated, you see, um, as long as you can keep doing that, then, then yeah, you, you stay in the programme. So, so as a 13-year-old, did you hook up, were you, you were with Firebrands as your first club? Um, I started with a very small West Country club called Stroud was where yeah. I actually began and then moved to Firebrands aged 15 um, and that was where I, I then worked with a guy called Carl Ward who was an international coach and indoor hockey player some some great players we played national I was playing National League aged 15 16 wow. um, and it was yeah it was it was fabulous great experience we weren't top of the league and I I kind of encourage goalkeepers even if they're in a rubbish team to stick with it because actually if you're in the best teams in the league you don't get very much to do yeah. so being the team that was middle to bottom of the table quite a lot uh, was great experience it was fabulous to, to work in that kind of pressured environment and, and I think it, it stood me in good stead moving forwards I, I must admit I always like reminding a, a goalkeeper who's whinging a little bit about uh, having seen too much of the ball Simon that they're getting their money's worth they're not paying. They're not paying fees to watch us run around playing hockey. Well, correct. It's the most boring thing in the world. I mean, I was I was lucky at Reading. We had many years of success as a club at that point. But I was very fortunate that I had two defenders who actually wanted to be centre forwards. So conse <laughs> <laughs> consequently, there, there wasn't a lot of one nils. There was quite a lot of six fours. Um, so I got quite a lot to do. Which uh, it's just it's just practice week in week out. And there's 
Yeah, you, as a goalkeeper, you, you don't want to be the, the kid who sits on the backboard and gets bored. That's just, well, I don't, I don't think that's how goalkeepers should, should approach the sport. Simon, you, you mentioned the, the quick space of time between picking up the, the position and, and making a, you know, a national debut. How much, at what point did the coaching overtake from natural talent? You know, how far did you get on just being good at it as opposed to having to work on it and, and study it, I suppose? Um, I was I was lucky enough that right from minute one, John, John Law, as I mentioned, was the coach who got me into it. But he was renowned for producing uh, top level goalkeepers. At one point, he was coaching the goalkeepers in the England 16s, 18s, and 21s, wow. all in his school at the same time. Wow. So he had a, a, an understanding of the position anyway, and definitely without his input, I wouldn't have got anywhere near <clears throat> the international teams to begin with. Um, there, there was, there, there always is at, at the beginning a degree of talent. I think, I think more often than not with junior goalkeepers, it's just harboring, um, an enthusiasm because that's what you want as a young goalkeeper. You just want someone who's mobile, who's agile, who's keen, who's energetic, and that can get you quite a long way. It didn't, it didn't ever become probably a, a, a driven technical development path until probably late in the under 18 so kind of 17 18 19 and i was exposed to another john a guy called john hurst who's been the national goalkeeper coach in mm. england and great britain for yeah. like well basically, basically he's seen as yoda nobody really knows how old he is but... <laughs> um so and, and he him and i struck up a, a professional relationship to start with and then a friendship that's carried on even now i speak to him probably every couple of weeks um but he he's coached many great goalkeepers and I was lucky enough to be involved with him and it's a kind of probably at that point that I realised you had to train properly if you were going to be successful um, I wasn't over the course of my career I was never the most the most naturally talented goalkeeper in the group there was a guy called Jimmy Lewis who I played with who is now the German senior goalkeeper coach who pound for pound was probably the best goalkeeper in uh, England and Great Britain during the same sort of period, but unfortunately Jimmy is only, I, I, I guess at five foot nine, five foot ten, and there's me at six foot six, and <laughs> David Luck is at six foot four. And unfortunately, if you got things like penalty corners became prevalent after uh, Atlanta and the whole rolling substitution thing, it's all about covering space and and having an extra six, seven, eight inches of height makes a difference. So from those early days of getting involved with the international setup, when did it start to um, become more of a professional full-time endeavour for players? Was that ever the case when you when you were playing at the top level? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was playing when it became professional because lottery funding came in 1997, 1998. Mm-hmm. So we we played through the early days very much off the back of limited funding. I can remember now my very first international sportsman's grant was in 1994 at the end of my international, sorry, end of my university career. And I got a cheque for the year from the Foundation for Sport of the Arts of 2,240 quid. Right. Um, that was my annual international players grant. And first 40 quid went on beer. I'll happily <laughs> stick my hand. Um, that was it. There you go. What do you do as a student when someone gives you two and a half thousand pounds drink? Yeah. Um, so, um, but then once lottery funding came in, kind of '97, there was a lot more emphasis on on how you trained and and how you played and the development of the team. But it was still a long way away from from where it is now. 
um, we spoke about, not, not you and I, but I've spoken to friends about, we, a guy called Barry Dancer came in to coach us. Uh-huh. I, I forget the exact date, sort of 1998, 99, 2000, around about then. Um, and I can remember conversations. He would come in. He was, and, and unfortunately for, for my team, he was probably four years too soon mm-hmm. for my team because he came in with a fantastic professional ethos. Um, and yet as players, we were cross if his session overran by 30 minutes because we had a tea time booked. Um, it was like that kind of thing as you go well we're not getting particularly well paid for this so we'll train pretty hard but when we're not training we're going to go and play a game of golf or do whatever and the priorities were wrong um, but we didn't know that that's, that's looking back now with the benefit of 20 years of hindsight um, so but it was definitely definitely 97, 98 when a bit of money came in and suddenly people were full time or, or part time at worst and it was then two sessions a day and training properly and trying to become a proper professional small p professional athlete we at the top of the show we uh we intimated that well we said we've got simon coming on um what hasn't he done in the game and of course post game you've been involved with fih athlete panels the same in the uk you've had uh, president and vice president roles with with england hockey um what what haven't you done in the game you still waiting to be a top level umpire <laughs> uh, the- the, the, the honest answer is one that I will forever, forever uh, will concern me, which is I never won anything. <laughs> so as, as an athlete, all, oh, it's true. As an athlete, all you ever saw stand on the top of the rostrum, and I spent, I, I played for the country 197 times, and in all that time, I won one international competition at world level, which was the Sultan Aslan Shah. Um, and I watched a lot of other people stand on rostrums and become part of the the. Elite, elite club of elite if you if you like I'm very proud of being an Olympian and that is an elite club but it's winning a, an Olympic medal that actually puts you beyond the, the average if you like and that was something that I never did so uh, to answer your question I never won anything so I'm not going to stand here and pretend that that, that was the case um, outside of pure performance um, I've, I've had fantastic opportunities I'd, I'd like to think that when I played I played in a way that respected the game and consequently because that strikes up meaningful relationships you get invited to be part of other things and if you can articulate a sentence and have an opinion and, and be prepared to discuss it that that gets you invitations into to groups and committees and you just step forward from there and I've enjoyed pretty much all of the roles the roles within London the, the England presidency the FH stuff I now sit on the European executive board and you meet some amazing people but at the bottom line they all just simply have a passion for our sport and want to see it develop um do i have harbourings of being any kind of an umpire it's i sit in a commentary box with 14 replays and three screens and criticize i have no pressure and no responsibility i don't want to go <laughs> no but i it's, I, I do a bit of umpiring at the club because that's that's what you do but no it's not something on my list now, there's also the commercial interest there as well, and, and we've had Mike Smith on the on the show, um, obviously involved with the the hockey museum. How did you get into the Mercian side of things, and and uh, yeah, tell the listeners about Mercian hockey and what you do there? Um, right, getting into it was easy. Mike gave me my first set of leg guards and kickers when I was 13 years old, um, oh, wow. and I met the, I met the Smiths, who were the founders of Mercian. They knew John Law. Um, they kindly donated me that first set of kit and I didn't wear anything else well I still 
didn't I stopped goalkeeping two seasons ago I, I, I've never worn any other brand they gave me an incredible opportunity um, I did a bit of work for them through university developing goalkeeping equipment um, and uh, worked then part, part time kind of 96, 97 on their admin for their sponsorship program which is something that we as a company still do we, we use we try and give uh, an athlete an opportunity for some work by simply running the admin of our sponsorship program um, and then after uh, Athens in 2004 they said uh, would you like a job and I was like well I don't really know what else I want to do I've played hockey for 12 years <laughs> so I worked for them for a year um, they've very much been a, a family I'll say hand to mouth company as the market had progressed globally they hadn't necessarily kept up with some of the trends but that's because they've worked incredibly hard domestically for 25 years um, came in and changed a few bits and pieces had some, some ideas we were lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time and the company grew significantly kind of about 10 or 11 percent a year for about five years um, and went really well which was which was fab and they gave me every opportunity to learn every single facet of the business uh, and then eventually kind of they, they must have seen a, an ability in some way and said would I be interested in, in buying it or buying into it and in the end in 2008 um, their eldest son and myself so Mike and Judy's eldest son and myself bought the company from them um, and, and looked to expand globally uh, we already had some international markets but it was mostly a domestic focus so we we got involved we, we got stuck in we spent some money and and then the global recession hit and Adidas launched which is always good fun <laughs> as a small as a hockey brand um, so we faced the challenges I'm not going to pretend it was a lot of fun I had all sorts of fantastic plans for a company that had grown 50% in 5 or 6 years and the first thing we were faced with because of the financial crisis was making people redundant um, both domestically and across the world so as a, as a relatively young businessman or call, call me what you like I'd never had a proper job up until that point I'd never done a job interview and suddenly you're trying to run a company um, in, in the face of some pretty challenging economic conditions and yeah. it became about survival so we, we spent two or three years literally surviving counting every penny making some really cautious decisions growing where we could cutting back where we could and learning and feeling our way in an environment that we was wholly unexpected because prior to that I mean we were making the most money we'd made that sounds very grand I don't mean that in the hockey market nobody's driving a Ferrari but we were making <laughs> good money making profit um, I had to cut back on my champagne and cigar habit um, all those all those really tough decisions um, and you just you just grind grind through it and, and we did um, then Jimmy, Jimmy and I parted ways what's about three years ago now he wanted to go in a different direction with his career so I, I bought the other half and we've we've continued to, to slowly grow in a market that's seen uh, brands proliferate and pop up brands on a weekly basis uh, because of relatively easily supply chains but we have a we have a, a, what I perceive to be a stable and successful company. We're, we're global. We're in 33 different countries, and we make a, a full range of product. I'd like to think that with some of my knowledge, the goalkeeping range is up there. I mean, obviously, there is a global world leader from goalkeeping protection perspective, but we sit quite happily in the, the next tier of companies. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're bigger this year than we were last year, and we've now got our 
retail business because Mercian originally was started as a retail business, the hockey centre in Woking. Um, but we now have hockey centres in five different countries. So we got e-commerce in, um, in in India, Holland, Belgium, the UK, and we're just setting up in Australia. So All yeah, right. it's, it's been great. It's been a fantastic challenge, and it's one that gives me the personally. I've got a fabulous team in Woking. And it gives me the ability to do the other stuff that I do. So I probably do. I know about three and a half days of specific mercy and business work. And then the other day and a day and a half, swanning off around the world talking about hockey. Well, much like yourself, my first foray into foam products as a keeper coming out of the yellow cane was into mercy and gear. Um, And so it's always got a special place in my heart. Where do people find out about mercy and Simon? Where, Where can they find you online? Uh, our own our own um, B2B and B2C website is mercyandhockey.com which is where everybody can find all of the information uh, about the brand and about the products that we sell and then depending where they are in the world uh, whether uh, if they actually wanted to, to get hold of something whether they go through one of our uh, premium resellers one of our retail group or whether they come directly to us so the, the website gives them all that information but we've got a fantastic network of agents and distributors and, and resellers as I say now in 30, 33 different countries Simon I've got a, a, a pair of hockey goalkeepers gloves in my shed at the moment that date back to the early 1980s and they're essentially a pair of cricket wicket keepers gloves with the padding missing from one palm um, you've obviously seen the uh, the evolution of goalkeeping equipment over the last 20, 30 odd years is there is there somewhere else we can take it or are we almost getting to the, the stage where you know the technology as far as it all goes is is set um, it's, a, it's a very very good question because it did progress as you say from the gloves through which you've probably broken as many fingers as I have to <laughs> what is now space age foams it's fantastic production it's it's advanced resins and, and glues and I, we have this conversation almost every year across dinner tables with even the manufacturers even though we're competitors it's always interesting to have a chat and, and we do and it's it's really difficult to predict what the next stage is because we're already into some of the, the lightest most protective high rebound foam materials that exist um I think you'll see potentially you'll see some, some some hybrid units where goalkeepers choose to wear bigger amounts of, of armour for set plays and bits and pieces, but then stripping their kit down for things like shootouts and one on ones. So I think what you'll see possibly is some some modular bits and pieces of kit. Um, but I'd struggle to predict uh, a revolutionary change like you saw when when we came from cane and leather into into foam i i can't see a step forward like that we, we all look at different technologies there's some motorcycle technology that's being looked at for body for body armor but it's to be honest it's it's not a lot better than the conventional stuff and it's two or three times the price so at the end what is what is becomes to, that comes to market is dictated a little bit by what people are prepared to pay because yeah, we could use we could use Kevlar and Nomex and Gore-Tex and all sorts, but who's going to pay five hundred pounds for a set of body armor when you can pay one hundred and fifty? Yeah, Some, something that amazes me about the game today with modern goalkeepers is uh, they don't seem to wear the arm deflectors and the and the elbow pads so much, and uh, there is a bit more body exposed. Now I'd probably 
put the pads on two times, three times a year, and I want to be covered from bloody head to toe. <laughs> and, um, now, is that is that move just about flexibility and, and movement? Because it's it's brave. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fine line between bravery and stupidity. Um, <laughs> Not in goalies. <laughs> but it's it's about hand speed. The if you if you go back to when the composite sticks came in, so the early nineties. Basic, sorry, the early 2000s, basically, you were looking at a team. If you played in the side, everybody probably had a big hitter. One, one guy that as a goalie, you'd know when he was coming in that you needed to tense up and it was going to come <laughs> pinging at you. But then there was half a dozen people who just hit it like a bit of a wuss. Um, that, that changed overnight with composite yeah. sticks into ev- everybody hitting it hard enough to hurt. Yeah. And so you went from the ability as a goalkeeper to, to be really focused on, on technical saves 80, 90% of the time into being a goalkeeper who, <clears throat> if you, if you got it right, you probably had two or three saves out of 10 that you could execute perfectly. The other six or seven, you're just trying to get in the way. Um, and so consequently you needed to enhance your ground speed you needed to enhance hand speed and therefore kit became less obtrusive it didn't stop your movement as much and then people started stripping off their arm guards um, because that they they were stopping your hands moving as fast as they needed so it's interesting that it's more in the men's game where you've seen that stripped down I think that's ball speed dependent in the women's you do still see a lot more full arm guards um but that is the reason for it. It's it's got nothing to do with bravery or anything. It's just simply about speed. Now we you talk about stripping down goalkeepers. At the same time, we're seeing number one, number two runners wearing more protective gear. Now I, I spotted a piece that you wrote a couple of years ago about um, short corner danger um, and about um, particularly I think the Koreans um, getting through to a final a few years ago by just you know they had three players that went off injured dur- during the game, um, but but there was no goal scored against them at all. And there's a debate that's popped up online again this week about the safety of short corners and the safety of those number one runners what's your view on that at the moment I think they're two fundamentally different questions Right. I think safety of penalty corners I think a penalty corner as a whole is there is an element of danger but I don't think it's more or less dangerous than continuing to allow backhand shooting for example Yeah. the penalty corner exponents a pretty good international level they're picking their corners and the people who are standing on the goal line are 10, 11, 12 metres away and it's you've got a decent amount of reaction time I know we see highlights of people getting hit with face masks on and so face masks are a great addition but I don't I really don't see the statistics that suggest you should look at changing the penalty corner in essence because it's any more dangerous than things such as backhand shooting yeah my my issue my personal issue is is a strong one and i talk about it when i commentate is we are now allowing number one runners to run suicide line yeah. taking a foot off the goalkeeper and running straight at somebody flicking the ball at 110 120 kilometers an hour um and that where, where does it stop we're letting them put knee pads on we're letting them put face masks and boxers we're letting them put big gloves on essentially you're you're becoming a charging goalkeeper when does that change when do they my, my thing is I, I can see people sliding into a mini kicker for example mm-hmm. because it's the foot injuries that a lot of players are getting when the ball hits the feet so sliding into the front half of a kicker with a quick velcro tab you'll sit within the 40 second rule 
and there's nothing in the rules that says you can't wear it. So where does that, where does all of that stop? Where do wider shin guards to in, increase the lower leg width? And all of that for me is the bigger question is that whilst we allow that run, and I believe there's something in the rules that says it's not allowed, um, how is that, how is that run managed and how is that number one position, which is the primary dangerous position of, of knees and ankles and shins and lower body, where, how do we address that? I think that is the most important question. So would you think along the lines of perhaps uh, a rule that said maybe the number one runner has to start outside a post so they're taken off that direct line? Is that the sort of area you'd go? Genius. No, I'd never thought of that. I'd, I'd, I'd thought about how an umpire could control the line of the run, but you've just you just solved it in one. Oh. Uh, yes, great suggestion. Great suggestion. Not I never thought about, but it fundamentally changes the angle of that number one runner. Yeah, yeah great. All right, that's, good suggestions. That, that's hockey okay. solved. Okay, well, yeah, we'll pack up now and go home. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned commentary there. Obviously, when uh, our listeners uh, would know you from your great work with Galvanised Hockey and all of the many international tournaments all around the world with the FIH, and I understand you're off to Argentina. Yeah, so go there, fly out overnight tomorrow. Um, the four the four pro league games that are taking place in Argentina this weekend. Um, commentate on those, both the boys and the girls, because uh, I'm just one of a, a team of kind of half a dozen or ten of us who are trying to cover all of the the pro league stuff around the world and give the people who aren't fortunate enough to go and watch the games live, give them as good an experience as they can, either on on terrestrial TV or, or cable or internet, whatever it may be. Um, with this voice it's going to be entertaining but still <laughs> we'll give it a go and once I finish talking to you guys I'm not going to speak for another 36 hours before I get to Argentina um, but yeah that's that's a, that's a job I love I was lucky, lucky to get in, into it right place right time um, and then fortunately people seem to think that I can art- articulate a thought um, and, and put it across in a reasonably clear manner and that's essentially all, all you're doing in commentary is you're just trying to enhance the pictures. So, yeah, lucky enough to do a bit of travelling. It's not quite as glam as it sounds. Flying from the UK to Argentina via Madrid for two and a half days to then fly back again. <laughs> but on the, on the other hand, on the other hand, it's it's the sport that I love. It's a chance to watch the world's best players, um, talk about them, and and then bring that that understanding back to the game. And if you then end up doing a bit of coaching or a bit of chat, chat with a local club or whatever you can at least have an opinion on what's happening at the very top level and you enjoying pro league so far yes the, the hockey's been amazing it, yeah. it's it's almost like the teams involved have gone you know why it's a long competition let's develop some 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 skills but let's go at it let's let's prove that we, what we can do almost for some of the younger players it's a it's a selection opportunity um, and therefore the games and the scores that we've seen I mean I was working with Charlie Broom last weekend in in Valencia and across the 11 men's games that they'd been up to that point there was 75 goals I mean it's that's that's nuts from a spectator perspective that's just phenomenal you've got you've got games where teams are Great Britain 4-1 down win 6-5 you've got Spain 2-0 down against Belgium draw 2 all and go to a shootout Um, you've got Australia was it uh, Australia were four one up, and the Dutch came back and took that to a shootout. Yeah, it's we're, not, just we're not talking about that one. To, 
Really? Okay, Zachy, you're waking up. Sorry. <laughs> Twelve years, I flew with the Australians once. I'm going to gloat when anybody beats them. <laughs> well, we did just have Grant Schubert in the, in the studio here a few minutes ago, and uh, we said, do you ever play against Simon to score a few? He said, yeah, I think I scored a few against him. <laughs> You, you, you could ask pretty much anybody in any Australian <laughs> to be honest. Did you score? Yes, of course I did. Absolutely. Loads. You go as far as Jay Stacey in China and, and Mark Hagar and that crowd, they, they happily knocked a few in. Yeah, well, we, we had a lovely weekend here in Perth uh, with the Pro League and we had a chat with Mark after the game and... Uh, and yeah, what you said about that that freedom that's that certainly came across from some of the coaches that we spoke to that um because you haven't got that tournament pressure, if you are three or four goals down in uh, you know in the in the final quarter, sod it, let's just go for it and and we're 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 seeing a bit more freedom and um yeah a bit maybe a bit more expre- attacking expression from teams it's good, it's really good to see oh, it's fabulous for the spectators i mean you know, in a, I think if you if you analysed it technically, the coaches for a number of teams wouldn't be happy with the defensive performances because they're certainly not yeah. t- technically or tactically as you would expect to see in a tournament. But hey, it's it's a global competition. You're blooding new new players across the men's and the women's. You're, you're making people fly around the world. You, you may as well get out and enjoy it. And it actually looks like the players are enjoying it. I think I think they're liking the experience. It's it's not without its. Um, Difficulties, its complexities, but get out and play against the top nations of the world on a regular basis is fabulous opportunity for the players. Now, as you know, we've got a crash ball counter here at, uh, at the TRS, and uh, it was almost broken at the weekend by Gemma McCaw. She had a minimum of seven uh, in both games that she <laughs> commentated at the weekend. Um, we've noticed it's come out of your game a little bit, though. Not only because you kept telling me you were counting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try and follow um, on on social media, follow everybody who's got a passion for the game and it's adding value and the stuff that you guys do is, is something that I, I follow and, and, and listen to. And all that, all you want to do as an individual when you're commentating is is be relevant and, and add, add that value. And I learned very early on that if, if people are, are talking about so positively or negatively, um, also, from a from a crash ball count, you realise that your vocabulary is not as wide as you might want it to be. So, trust me, I talk about a hard flat hit into the circle as well, but I just talk about it in a different way. I'm still, it's still the same idea. It's not like they've stopped hitting balls into the circle. They just use different words. The irony is, in my very the irony is most of them are crash balls. They just end up going over the back line somewhere, and it's a total crash as far as the, the attack's concerned. Correct, or it's the old left wing reverse stick cross that I reckon eight out of ten go at about head height. But it's it's that is what people choose to do. But you you have to adapt. It's it's the same as anything. I mean, if you're a player, you have to adapt to to instructions. And I got presented my very first after my very first commentary gig. I got presented by with uh, with a t-shirt by a friend of mine that simply said "phenomenal" across the back, because apparently every everything was phenomenal it wasn't good it wasn't great it was literally it was just one word on the back of a t-shirt I'm like what's this and they said go away and listen to your commentary so I did now well for, for well, not now but for a good year all I did at the start of my commentary notes was write phenomenal at the top of the page in yellow highlighter and never, never said it again uh, we know how you feel um, a- uh, absolutely absolutely we know how you feel <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's our little one there. Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. We wish you every success, uh, both with Mercy and Hockey, but also the commentating gigs, and we always enjoy uh, listening to you pitch side. And, uh, yeah, all the best for the future. 
Pleasure. Thanks for your time, guys. We enjoyed it. Good luck. You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast. And that was Simon Mason, who's a player, administrator, retailer, everything, it seems. Manufacturer. Manufacturer. Consultant. Yeah. Commentator. I hope we haven't, didn't keep him talking too much there, John, because he's got some games to do at the weekend. <laughs> he's a bit croaky there. From, uh, but, uh, professional, very professional. I'm sure he'll be up and ready to get in on uh, Friday when those games begin. Always good to listen to his commentary. Well, Next. W- well, Pro League. Didn't we there. have a lovely time the day we went <laughs> to Pro League? We did indeed. Uh, fabulous day at the Perth Hockey Stadium. The weather was oh, beautiful. Just if, wasn't it? If not a bit too... Maybe a little bit warm when it yeah, started. 28, 29, cooled down a bit for the later game. Um, but it, it was a yeah, beautiful day and uh, it would have looked fantastic around the globe on screens, whether it, you caught it on FIH.live or on your local broadcaster. And a great crowd. Uh, 4,673, I think, was the official, but we'd have been close to 5,000 if you included volunteers. There'd have been a few comp tickets around and about. And, and there was us. And there 5, was 5,002. Us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, look, we were very well looked after. We were. <clears throat> Thank you to uh, Ben and Hockey Australia. We got our accreditation through. Uh, we were kind of surprised, weren't we, John, when we got into the mix zone um, after certainly oh. after the first game. Yeah. Uh, and Ben said, "Well, you know, who do you want to talk to?" And we we're like, "Well, what's what's going on here? This is our first experience of uh, being involved as, with an official media pass. We normally just kind of sneak around with the phone and take a few shots." And thanks, thanks to those of you that joined us on Instagram. We did a few yeah. um, live videos on there and tried to get lots of stuff out on Twitter and on Facebook as well. And of course, you can follow us on all those platforms on at the reverse stick also on our YouTube channel you'll catch all the little videos that we did uh, post game as well uh, and that was all exclusive content wasn't it John so we didn't we didn't sort of share the, the FIH filmed bits that were in the media room there as well no, it was the FI, official FIH person asked questions first and then they allowed us to ask questions false false <laughs> a bit disappointed they didn't allow our questions onto the FIH that would have been good because then you bit rounded oh yeah we don't don't have any issues with them using our stuff do we not at all no 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 no. it's fine it's all there it's out in the open john you can use it feel free fih yeah Uh, but a great day we had there and um we did walk around speak to a few different people at at the time well yeah we got some audio grabs we've got some audio and uh, should we start with the boys let's start with the boys you are with the Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast, and we're here at Perth Hockey Stadium for the very first of two games versus GB for Australia. We've happened to have come across two or three of our club mates who have uh, all got a can of beer in their hand. Gents, uh, welcome on the Reverse Stick, Davo. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for, uh, for uh, coming and seeing us and um, throwing your five sets with you. And, and faster. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Uh, if you could get the bar staff to just pour these beers a little bit quicker, it'd be great help, mate. And Scotty. <laughs> yeah, Matty, nice to see you. And Johnny, yes, looking forward to England, Griff Britain, getting one up over the Aussies. Oh, <laughs> right. he's, he's got his Lions shirt on at the moment, so you don't know who he's uh, supporting now. Um, have you heard of the, the Pro League? Have you watched any games of the Pro League? I actually did a research this morning about it, and they were boo-hitting Great Britain a little bit um, after their 7-1 or 8-1 drubbing um, a while ago England yeah. yeah and they played uh, 
They played last weekend, I think it was, and I think they lost or won 4-2. Who's that, GB or Oz? GB. I think it was. Oz has lost, lost the last two games, and GB's won their last two games they played. So you've got no idea what's going on at all, then? Well, okay. <laughs> what, about, what, what about you, Fester? What I read in the paper today, apparently England have got a few injury worries, and Australia aren't taking them lightly, and that's all I've got. Now, both of these folks have mentioned England there, because in the local paper in the West Australia, it mentions England, and of course it's GB that are playing here today. Uh, so there's a couple of Scotsmen in there, Scotty. There, yeah, that's good to hear. So what, what else? Do you know anything about the Pro League? Do you know what the format is of the Pro League? Uh, they travel around the world and play a couple of games. Um, I know that the Aussies were in Tasmania just a couple of weeks ago yeah. playing. Um, and then, you know, moving around. And then play, they've just played in Barcelona as well, I think. Yeah, and Valencia. So, I reckon it's great to travel around the world. It's a great gig. We'd love to be part of it. And what are your expectations of the games here today? We've got the men up first and then the women on afterwards. I uh, hope to be able to remember the game, to be honest. <laughs> What about you boys? Any expectations of the game? I'd say Australia will win both by two goals. We're going to strike by four. Oh, thanks very much. You enjoy the beers and enjoy the hockey boys. Thanks very thanks, much. Mate. Yeah, that's a couple of the over 40s Div 4 Crabs boys. Mate, they did. They, they enjoyed the beers because <laughs> the, the two of those boys waddled past us out the, <laughs> out the, the exit um, about an hour, an hour after the finish of the uh, the second game. They had a good day. Uh, thanks for joining us, boys. It was uh, an absolute pleasure to uh, to catch up. And we look, we thought it was interesting to get a bit of a view of the the general hockey fans. So those guys are all uh, you know masters players not particularly social media savvy um, but good to know that they knew a little bit about the pro league however incorrect some of it was yeah it must be said davo there um his his wife is well known in wa hockey circles indeed lee yeah lee abbott um davo had to be dragged kicking and screaming to hockey he refused to to be involved oh, in any way shape w- or form for he, a long time yeah he was a hockey widow for many many <laughs> years, years. And, and started playing the game at 43 44 yeah, something yeah. like that and you can't get him away from the club room anymore and so you know there, there's a message out there for everybody is that you know you, you you can keep pressing and keep pressing and keep pressing and eventually the buggers will turn around and they'll pick a stick up i'm yeah. still working on mara to be honest uh, yeah, yeah well davo went within five years from being a bloke who never picked up a stick to winning two premierships back to back and yeah. uh, king of the seagull Dave no one seagulls like Dave he loves does. the far post doesn't he he loves it well talking about seagulls John that's probably a nice little se- segue there um, do, you, do you want to get a little grab from uh, Aaron Zalewski who we spoke to in the mix zone afterwards and then maybe we can uh, uh, then lead on to uh, some further comments from Flynn Ogilvy. let's do it yeah, just quietly, who was it that missed that uh, seagull? At the yeah, end? who was oh, that? TJ, that no, great boy, he'll be filthy up here, he's going to destroy the national hockey. There you go. Yeah, you don't want to miss the easy ones, do you, Matt? You certainly don't. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we we had to pose the question because the whole crowd just about, you know, they'd all sucked the breath in, they thought it was all... And then it was a... Oh. Yeah, it was, it was a moment in the game. And one no. No player likes, but teammates love giving you a hard time about it. They certainly do. And uh, yeah, we, we after the game and uh, we're standing around having a beer. We we had a quick chat with Flynn Ogilvy, who was of course involved with the Cookaburras. So joining me post game after the Cookaburras two 0 victory over GB, Mr. Flynn Ogilvy. Flynn, enjoy that one. Yeah, it was a good game. Good to play in Perth. Good to play in front of a big crowd. I was surprised by the numbers. Were you? 
the numbers. Yeah, not crowd the numbers. numbers. Yeah, the crowd numbers. Uh, we don't normally see this, do we? Don't normally see this, but people turned out for a, a big turnout when Jamie played his last game here, so it was good to get a similar turnout today as well. Uh, on your game personally, were you you're happy with your performance? Uh, mostly yes. A few little things to fix up, but uh, overall pretty good. And 2-0 win, restricted GB from all those goals they've scored in their opening two games. Was there any particular plan to try and restrict them offensively? Um, we noticed they've played with a lot of numbers on one side of the field. That's how they try to attack. Down, like They place a lot of numbers on one side and then just try to play little passes all the way down the field. So we realised we had to recognise what side they wanted to go down and just stop them. from. I think the, the, the Aussie press was as good as it always has. We were here watching training the other night and Danny Carey made comments to the side. Come on, you've got to, these guys are going to fight for every single ball. Did you see that fight from them today? Uh, yeah, mostly. It was interesting that they didn't press us when we were up 2-0 in the fourth quarter. But um, for the rest of the game, yeah, they, they were tough to play against. They're always tough defensively, as seen by us only scoring two goals. Um, but yeah, that was a tough game. You hoping for a gig next week? Oh, sorry, two weeks' time? Yeah, definitely. It would be great to play in Sydney, as that's, that's where I'm originally from. Um, but never know. Hopefully, hopefully get a game. It's uh, tough for spots at the moment. Everyone's playing pretty well. Now, Flynn, uh, some of the members of the crowd over here want to know what the fine is for missing a seagull at international level. And they're great, it's five bucks. They're just wondering what you guys charge. Um, there's actually been talk of bringing in fines. We don't, we don't have them at the moment, but after that we might have to bring, bring them in. <laughs> great stuff. Thank you, Flynn, and be, uh, best luck for the rest of the Pro League. Thank you. Cheers. And super to hear from Flynn Ogilvy there. And, of course, you know, we wish all the kookaburras best of luck for the rest of the Pro League. But, yeah, it was a, a super day, um, a lovely hockey atmosphere. Like you said, the weather was fantastic. The crowd was great. I was pleased that we could showcase Perth as a proper hockey city. That's one of the reasons why I bloody live here is because yeah. we are a, a, a proper hockey city. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was just lovely to be amongst it and part of it. And we pressed the flesh left, left right and centre. We caught up with uh, match official Alfred Chan just before the before the game, and Alfred had come over from Hong Kong, and he brought us a couple of little gifts, and he was listening to oh, the show when he was Hong in Kong. BBR. Kids. Oh, it's just beautiful. Fantastic. Um, it was uh, good for the soul, very, very heartwarming. Now, uh, an- another interview I think we can just probably pop in here as well is, uh, you might recall, going back to the Dream Team competition that we ran, ooh, however ages long ago. ago. Yeah, ages and ages ago. The, the prizes were very kindly uh, provided by Atlas Hockey, and uh, had the opportunity to catch up with Mr Atlas, Jinder, uh, pit side. Let's hear from Jinder. You know so I'm standing here with Jinder from Atlas Hockey. He's a little bit reticent to um, say anything, but Jinder, uh, welcome to the reverse stick. Oh, thanks, mate. Um, so uh, obviously Pro League here in Perth today. Have you been keeping up with many of the games leading up to this one? I did, I did. I even flew to Melbourne to watch um, Holland, Belgium and Australia games. Uh-huh. And here we are now, and... Uh, and then God knows where the next one will be. Yeah, I will follow it down. Uh, pretty good crowd here for him in Perth, though. It hey? is. It is. There's a lot of people still trying to get in. Um, well, that's Perth people, though, isn't it? We're sort of yeah. arrived yeah. 20 minutes before the thing starts. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But there's a, a park, car park's a bit of an issue at the moment. Oh, you see, you need to get the media pass and get a VIP car, car parking. <laughs> um, any Atlas sticks out on the field there yeah, today? There are. Yes, yes. Who's, who's playing with Atlas? Uh, there's a young fellow on there. He's just about to tackle. Um, Tom Wickham. Yep. Um, there's a few more, and a few more in the girls' side. Um, I really don't know who's um, resting, who's been rested, and who's playing. Yeah, there's lots of changes, isn't there? Yeah, a lot of changes. Now. I think they're just trying 
young players to you know bring them forward. But uh, yeah, what do you think about the Pro League as a concept? Having having now been to a couple of the games as well, different venues, uh, it's pretty good. I I'll be honest with you, I prefer Champions Trophy. That's uh -huh. what it's been replaced by. Yeah, There's yeah. top six or eight nations in the world, and ten days whatever one spot, great. But this one is. Hockey is just as good, great to watch, lots of people coming here, but uh, whether all these um, teams that can carry flying to different countries and different parts of the world, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? It is, it's a big challenge. Um, I was talking to somebody from Holland, one of the officials, and she was telling me about uh, how they travel to New Zealand and then Australia, then Canada and then back to Argentina, it's a lot of travelling. We thought it was a goal, but it wasn't a goal there. Wasn't it? No, it's, um, yeah, I think everybody's just trying to find their feet with it and try and work out yeah. um, how everyone's doing it differently. The Dutch are doing it differently to the GB. The Belgium are doing it differently. They're flying in and doing one game at a time. So yeah, I think it's uh, maybe after year one we'll know where we're at with it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, this team come all the way from UK and they've got one game. Or one or two game, one official game, one to well, well, one here and one over um, in NZ, wasn't it last um, last week? Yeah, yeah, two games all this way. I'm not sure whether that's <laughs> that's a good thing for hockey. I mean, more people play, the better for us, as you know. Uh, we we make a living out of Atlas. <laughs> well, where do people find out about Atlas sticks, Tinder? They we pretty big now on international level, and the biggest market for us is uh, India. Uh -huh. Um, we struggle to keep up with the um, demand over there simply because they don't give us order early enough. But we we work it out sort of for them, and yeah, it's going good, very good actually. Uh, uh, we had a bit of problem last year, and I think we'll probably sort that out this year. We got more orders that we can produce, which is good problem to have. Well, that's good. Well, I don't need to tell anybody your website where they can buy a stick. Then, if you're selling too many, you don't need the business, do you? That's true. That's true. But still, you got to keep up with it. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Jinder. I hope you enjoy the rest of the day's hockey. I certainly will. Thank you very much. And it was uh, great to catch up with Jinder too. We we tried desperately. I love him, mate. I yes, love him. He's a great tried. bloke. And uh, we we stoically stuck without not having a drink until the day's play had ended. And except for that five-minute break where Jinder forced beer <laughs> into our hand. He wouldn't take... No, Jinder, we're supposed to be working. No, take the beer. <laughs> <laughs> what was that accent? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know that never. No, bless him. No, no. There was a six pack sitting there. He said, "That's yours down there." Like, oh, all right. I'll just have the one. I'll just have the one. We were pretty good with it, though. We were, we're very, very reserved. Good. In fact, I don't think I've drank as little amount of alcohol watching a game of hockey in my life. Yeah, well, <clears> we should get media accreditation more often. I think. <laughs> That's just a word to the Western Australian hockey community. <laughs> Give us a pass. <laughs> but yeah, so what a super day, John! It was you know really really Fantastic. good, um, and uh, uh, it was lovely to see. Like, we, obviously, we had Andy on Andy Halliday from Team yep. GB on the show last week. Kevin, um, little, little way we pressed the flesh left, right, and centre. Had some lovely conversations all about hockey. Rather surprising to learn quite how many people know about the podcast. <laughs> Um, uh, which was also lovely and there were some great comments from people saying we enjoy the show and all that sort of stuff and so thank you thank you thank yeah. you thank you because it was a, a, a great experience lovely to be part of it um, I guess the challenge is set John isn't it if you've got a hockey podcast out there somewhere yeah get accreditation go down stand in an empty room <laughs> and ask coaches and players questions because we need that one of the, the really disappointing things is the fact that 
we were quite excited to be where the interviews would be going on and all that sort of stuff and you and I were the sum total of the Australian media contingent interested in that game, yeah. which was really, really disappointing. That was the only part of the day I didn't like was us, just us two, or, you know, not even some print journalist sitting there scribbling in a book. It was, well, it was quite disconcerting know. as well for Hannah Martin, Adam Dixon, <laughs> Georgie <laughs> Morgan, Mariah Williams, Aaron Zalewski, Mark Hagar, Paul Godoyne. <laughs> Colin Batch. Colin Batch. We, all didn't get, we didn't catch Danny. Well, because we, we didn't know what was bloody going on. It was <laughs> like, there's the, oh, hang on, there's an interview going on in them. Maybe we shouldn't interrupt. And by the time we got in behind the camera, psh, he was out of there. Yeah, but judging by the look on Danny's face, I'm probably not a bad idea who he was that one. Yeah, mate. I don't think he was going to be smiling like the others. No, he didn't. Didn't quite get our humour. Well, sorry, probably probably wouldn't have quite got got our humour with it. But no, Super Day. Thank you, Hockey Australia. Thank you, FIH Pro League. It was um, most enjoyable. And yeah, get on down and support it. Whether you agree with the Pro League as a concept or not, and as you know, you've heard our views along the way. uh, And there are still reservations with cost and all sorts of other bits and pieces, but. If you love hockey, get, just get out and support it. Get your bums yep. off your seats and get down and support it. Yeah, thanks once again, Ben Summerford, for arranging all that. It was great. We really enjoyed it. And the challenge is now out there, as you said. Um, other hockey podcasts, get down there and, and get involved and get the audio and press the flesh. And um, don't forget to take your cakes. Don't forget. Oh, well, hang on. Have you got something on that? I might do. Well, we were talking about cricket and you turning your back on a career in that sport. I must thank the guys from the podcast, The Reverse Stick, because you're here in the cricket commentary where you get cakes delivered to the commentary box. (laughs) They've delivered some cakes to us, Jamie, so that's very nice. It's a first for me in commentary. That's very nice. Might have a couple of them. Well, they are. They look exceedingly good cakes, I have to say. Always good to get on the good side of the commentators. Oh, it's an exceedingly good commentary as well, wasn't it, John? It was. It was a good weekend's commentary. I did catch a lot of the replay as it happened. And, uh, yeah. Oh, did you listen out for my woo-woo-woo when, when the, the goals went in? No. They'd be there, mate. Don't worry. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. And a bit of a... Rima, rima. <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You are listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. Get down to your local pro league game when you can. What else have we got, Matt? Oh, there's a few things to cover. It's, yeah, there's a fair bit that's pop, popped up, so we're going to go through it really quickly because this show will be running far too long. Uh, New Zealand something hockey. different. Well, yeah, <laughs> under an hour and a half, maybe. Probably not. Um, and in the press this week from New Zealand hockey. Now, you might remember back to a few months ago that... Uh, uh, businessman Sir Owen Glenn, who's been a, a big supporter of, of hockey and sport in general in New Zealand over, over the years, but particularly hockey, um, had pledged uh, two million NZ dollars uh, to be matched by the um, the government over there towards the the hockey program, a million dollars for the for the men's program, a million dollars for the women's program over a two year period. Um, with the payments to be distrib- distributed directly to the 25-strong squad. Um, and he has come out this week uh, in relation to the Mark Hagar, in inverted commas, saga, uh, to suspend those payments. Um, now, obviously, we know that Mark has uh, taken up the GB role. 
um, I've, I've picked up a, an online article here, pretty comprehensive, but uh, he, he's unhappy that he wasn't involved or informed about the process with Mark leaving and also the ongoing investigation uh, into the allegations of... Well, the allegations of what, John? Uh, <laughs> no one knows. No. Well, we'll find out on Monday, apparently. The report comes out. Uh, so some quotes from Sir Owen... Um, uh, with regard to Hagar going and he, he felt compelled to defend a beleaguered fen, uh, friend he said I thought hang on a minute I supported Mark and persuaded him to stay I backed him and inadvertently supported him financially if I'm putting two million behind hockey across the next two years I think there should be at the very least the courtesy and respect so I know what's going on I put my terms and conditions to the hockey board of what I want to see including the report review which has been mysteriously under wraps I want proper governance and transparency, and I think the whole of hockey does too. The guy, Hagar, took us from 12th in Beijing to winning the Commonwealth Games gold medal. What did he do wrong? Well, it's interesting because he obviously he wants to know what's going on, but he also mentions proper governance and transparency. Now, the response from uh, Mike Bignall, who's the, the chair of New Zealand Hockey, um, here's what he had to say about it. He's gone out of his way to help the players. It's a tough gig. Uh, so any support they get is really important. He's entitled to his views and we have to work through them with him. We respect those opinions and it's only reasonable in a partnership that we have that proper give and take. We've got to make him feel comfortable that his investment into hockey and the players is well worth it. Um, but with regard to keeping the, the details of the review um, private at the moment, he said, this is uh, Bignall, We've been mindful of everyone's privacy and confidentiality. That's why it's taken us until Monday to release this. We have to wait for players and others consulted to be in a position where they can hear those findings first. Glenn says he struggled to find any issue with the team and used the Commonwealth Games as an example. I was at every game. I talked to the players and coach. In fact, Mark and I would talk every week. And for this to happen, the hockey board said they supported him. But thank God they're not in the trenches next to me. It's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Uh, now, now you, you know raises a lot of questions. Well, it does, but he's asking for that that governance, and you you can't argue with uh, what Mike Bignall has come back with because uh, you know who finds out about what, and does a big check guarantee that you're going to be in the know? Should it? Um, yeah, that's another podcast, isn't it? <laughs> Talking about those sorts of issues of governance, etc. Um, I'm. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we're talking about um, something that's going to damage a corporate image necessarily, are we? I mean, we but it's, see ho- it's hockey, it's hockey, mate. Nobody notices anything. <laughs> yeah, well, we see sponsors pulling sponsorship because they might feel that their corporate image is damaged uh-huh. by the behaviours or whatever it is of certain individuals. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is kind of the opposite of that, isn't it? Oh, uh, sort of is. I mean. <sighs> Bless him for putting the money in. Yeah. God knows the game needs. Well, there, well they, there ain't many of those benefactors um, around and about. <laughs> there's not. And in, in some ways, maybe he he should have waited until the report came out and he had some grounds to say, well, I think that's rubbish and I'm taking my money away. At the moment, it just sounds like, oh, they're not telling me, so I'm taking my money away. Yeah. Which then leads back to governance. Is Are they entitled before players find out or... Hagar finds out. Well, or, but but Mark, Mark's been there for nearly ten years. You know, in the in the modern era where, era where coaches do a three or four year stint maximum, unless they're in India, obviously. But uh, <laughs> they they're um, ten a ten year tenure um, yeah, a in, in, in 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 a job. 
Um, and I, you know, I think, uh, good on GB Hockey for picking up Mark Hager, although that's, you know, potentially not problematic. There's been articles in the press in the UK, hasn't there, saying, oh, how's this been cleared through Sport England and, and whoever else? Look, the bottom line is they wouldn't have had a decision, um, Sport England or whatever the, the, the peak body is there that's putting the funding through lotteries and everything else. Um, they take the word of England hockey, I'm sure. Uh, but if there's a problem down the line, then it's it's an easy thing to throw back in their face. The other it? thing it's is we don't know how far back those discussions started or when approaches were made to him. Was it when New Zealand released him? Did England go, well, hang on a sec, or Great Britain? Well, he was never released, was he? That yeah. And, you know, so there's... um, He was obviously poached to some degree... Yeah. Uh, because he left one day and he's at the job the next. Yeah. Um, and maybe sometimes coaches just run their course, like you alluded to. Maybe he went, you know, I'm not really bothered about what's in the report, but it is a sign that I've done my time here. Yeah. And it's time to move on. Good Might be nothing in it at all. Good, at all. Good to see Mark Hickman down there at the stadium still wearing his Aussie, <laughs> Aussie colours yeah. at the weekend well, before he switches. He doesn't start for another month, is it? No. With the Great Britain girls. So and, look, and good luck to Mark with getting that visa. Um, which, <laughs> yeah, it might can, all end in tears. You yeah. Can, yeah, you'll find the full interview on our YouTube YouTube page. You'll find it on the socials, Twitter, Facebook. In, uh, not, it's not on Instagram, but Twitter and Facebook at the Reverse Stick. Yep, and you can catch uh, more from the Pro League on Totally Pro League, which is out. It'll be in your feeds before this program is because it's already up. Yep, hopefully you've had a listen to that. And of course, as we've said before, we won't be concentrating too much. Obviously, this is a bit of a Pro League special because we were there at the weekend and yep. we'll, we'll give you the, 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 the main scores. But uh, if you want the detail, you want some audio and, and, and uh, you want to get your full fix, you've got to head to Totally Pro League. And do get in touch and let us know what what you'd like to hear What and, and God knows there's plenty of improvements in that program so you know have your say I will not be offended by any criticism whatsoever lay it on us well, whilst, John at the reverse stick.net whilst we're on uh, Totally Pro League uh, we mentioned uh, in the, the chat with Simon that uh, Grant Schubert had been in the studio early on uh, yep. hopefully Grant's going to come in and do a couple of Tony uh, Pro Leagues he, he is going to do some work with us uh, it won't be next week but hopefully the week after we'll start getting Grant in regularly and we've got a couple of other guest um, presenters lined up for later on especially I, I, when things might, start hitting the northern hemisphere I might get invited at some point I don't know I just uh Anyway, I'm not, I'm not sad about it. I just, I just haven't been bloody asked about it. Um, but it was interesting. We had, we had a good chat, a good chat with Grant, um, because obviously he went over and played in the, uh, exhibition games in Pakistan, Pakistan last yeah. year, which prompted us get, get, getting him onto the show last time around. Um, there's more out of Pakistan this week. In fact, yesterday on the 19th hang on, of Feb. Hang on. Hang on. What's that? What the fuck? What are you doing? <laughs> oh, sorry. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for popping up there. Um, so the latest one from The Nation on February 19th uh, is that the PHF chief, obviously that's uh, Brigadier Kokar, vows to bring international hockey events to Pakistan. Uh, he's off to a two-day AHF meeting and uh, he's uh, hoping to get an international tournament for Pakistan, whether it is five nation or more, as hosting international tournaments is very important for us to flourish Pakistan hockey, he said. He's also hopeful, well, I'll quote it, I'm also hopeful that the FIH will not impose any ban on Pakistan because we failed to send our national team for Pro League. For taking part in the Pro Hockey League, we requested former IPC Secretary Abu Akif uh, for 200 million rupees and he promised to help the PHF. 
but when he retired, the new IPC secretary mishandled the PHF case and brought disgrace to the country in shape of an FIH ban on Pakistan hockey. Now the new IPC secretary, Akbar Durnai, has promised to provide funds for the Federation for a hockey revival. Uh, he's also gone to say, I'm sure all the propaganda will die its natural death when we will meet the PM, as the meeting is very important to the revival of hockey in this country. And the FIH can not only impose ban on Pakistan hockey team for not taking part in Pro League, but also in international events for two years. But we have written a letter to the FIH, and I'm hopeful that the things will be better. Shabazz will attend the FIH Executive Board meeting next month, and hopefully our case will be considered on humanitarian grounds. Well, what chance of that? Unfortunately, I think, uh, given the events of the last week, you know, um, Pakistan's got a lot bigger mountains to climb than whether hockey's uh, a feature of the national environment. Until you get those problems sorted, mate, it's going to be very, very difficult for anybody to be thinking about playing any international hockey against Pakistan. Yeah, well, there's talk of the... uh the, the, the pro league the professional Pakistan hockey league whatever it might be raising its head again I know that some players have been contacted to see if they're interested um, we'll wait and see on that there, there's some work being done with the Navy and Kokar's met up with the uh, the Naval Staff Rear Admiral Zahid Ilyas and uh, they've had detailed conversations about taking hockey forward there's opportunities maybe for um, young hockey players to be involved with the Navy and looking to, to groom young players and there's also uh, a new hockey ground being put down in Karzaz, uh, Karachi uh, so that's going to be available for the PHF to train so you know maybe there's some work it seems to be that, that yeah I mean they did something with the army um, last year it's all gone very quiet on the higher sponsorship hasn't it yeah um, there's a, a nice big whiz bang get them to the uh, the World Cup and not a lot been said after that no unfortunately but that's uh, you know that's just going to be such a long drawn out saga it's not going to be solved in a week that's for sure bit of unrest in Germany as well there's been an op- open letter written by Peter Lemon Jamion Mulders Bernhard Peters and Marcus Wieser um, with regard to governance and structure and moving German hockey forward, they've, they've had a, a little bit of a, a, a fall off on uh, the international scene. You know, they're not necessarily considered at the moment as a team that's going to be making top three, and that's something they got used to for a very long time. They're, you know, very high expectations. Um, you can get on as an article. Oh, let me have a little look for the website here. Uh, Faz.net, which is Frankfurter Allgemeine. Um, check that out you can read the whole letter there but they're basically looking for uh, a reorganisation of the the German hockey board Uh, the national teams need a sports representation with a voice at board level Uh, only in this way can the vitality of the association be ensured at the decision making level and similarly the Bundesliga needs a voting seat on the board such a constellation holds great scope for design and increases the chance of constructive cooperation in the venue design as well as in the planning of high-profile events in the field and hall. Now, of course, FIH, uh, sorry, FI, yeah, FIH Pro League has put different pressures on the German system at the moment. I understand that guys were given the opportunity, guys and girls were given the opportunity. Not opportunity, ultimatum. Ultimatum. So if you you're not playing pro league, you're playing indoor, or you're playing indoor and not pro league, but it's it's one or the one or the one other. Or the other. Um, there's uh, elections coming up there, and uh, 
this open letter says we would like to see a suitably positioned candidate team which offers the delegates a convincing program so a little bit of unrest and looking for a bit of change i think a lot of it centers around uh, certain individuals having too much on their plate and uh, those that aren't necessarily dire- directly involved in the top level of the game but have a lot of love for the game in germany see this as an opportunity to tweak the way they do things and maybe have a bit more of a collaborative open process so interesting to see what goes on there anything else oh, lots of things mate we'll run through them cost of hockey uh, oh, yeah. We, yeah we had some really good uh, interaction from people all around the world thanks for getting involved on Twitter uh, we just put it out you know, what does it cost you to play hockey in, uh, in your part of the world too much to go through this evening we'll do I'll break down the costs and bits and pieces over the next couple of weeks and we'll we'll give it a bit more uh, air and it's, it's interesting it. what people found as a cost to hockey now personally I think it's my fees what I have to pay for umpiring and yeah, and club, yeah an, annual club fees and then your game yeah. day costs. Other, other people were including uh, travel because they might have to travel long yeah, distance. Awesome, that sort of, yeah, well, but it's interesting what people do consider a cost yeah. to play the game. So, uh, yeah, we'll dig deeper into that in the coming weeks. Um, FIH.live, FIH YouTube. I made a comment on a Twitter post um, <laughs> because, to be fair, it did say go to FIH.live and watch all the highlights of the games. So I just said, oh, I'd love to know where to find that on the, on the site because I can only find geo-blocked full replays of games at the moment. We got a lovely response from FIH. And it said, yep, you can go and watch the highlights on YouTube. Um, great. Just tell us that. Tell us you can go and watch it on YouTube. Don't tell us you can go to FIH.live. FIH.live seems to me a little bit redundant at the moment because you can go and get what you want everywhere else. Um, let's hope it's not a big white elephant because so much potential. We're very excited about it. Get some stats on there. Get an actual correct ladder for both competitions on there. You go on there, you can't find it. It's ridiculous. The We said it last week. If you can put together the information, whether it's right or wrong on the stats on FIHProLeague.com, get that onto FIH.live. Um, or if you don't, then people just aren't going to be interested. They're not going to look at it. It's going to be a dead horse. And just do some work on that. Got another um, possession category uh, for you too. No, okay. Stats category. Yeah. Possession in own half. Yeah. That would that, make that sense. Would, that would be a really, really good stat. And it would have made a lot of sense, especially in the Australia-Great Britain game. It told you a bit more of a, of a story. Remember we had some contact with the, the guy with Altius RT that are behind yeah. the TMS system uh, around World Cup time, probably Women's World Cup yeah. time. And they were still trying to work out what the parameters were on the coding of the games. And so there was training issues. And like you mentioned last week, a, a second quarter with 100% uh, possession well, for a side that conceded a goal. Games this uh, week without stat sheets to them uh, or only half completed stat sheets with you know possession counts for the first and second quarter, but not the third and fourth. A lot of that sort of stuff's happening. And we've, we've said it before, it's a, an area of the game that, we really need to tidy up and and get very professional because it will make a lot of difference yeah. to to fans yeah. and to media and to other interested parties. And you might think we're being a bit picky, a bit pedantic with it, but come on, guys, there's there's, pe- there's people getting paid for roles to put to put these things out. Yeah, well, I think we've got to be careful with the stats side of things because that's labour intensive. Yeah, and and one of the things we've been talking about is what the cost of the pro league is. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any answers. They're only discussion points, and I think it's worthwhile that we throw them up there for people to 
to discuss. Now, of course, uh, before we let you go, two two quick things, John. FIH Hockey Stars Awards were announced um, post our, our, our last show. Um, should we just run through them? Let's just run through Go them. Through Female them. Player of the Year, Ava de Herder, uh from the Netherlands. Congratulations. Uh, Male Player of the Year, Arthur Van Doren. Congratulations. Female Rising Star, Lucina von der Heide Argentina. Male Rising Star of the Year, Arthur de Sluva. Congratulations. I brought it up uh, as a concept, maybe. You know, um, if you win the Academy Awards, you get an Oscar. Yeah. Uh, well, considering we've now had uh, four Arthurs win... Well, the, the same Arthur win three awards within two years and, and another Arthur right. jump in. Should we be calling them the Arthurs? I think we should call them the Arthurs. Hmm. Okay. Arthurs. I was, it was brought up actually we should be calling them the, the Dian Chans, but, uh. That's that, not a bad that, idea. Another, no, no. That's a sensible idea as opposed to any idea you'll get out of us. How about we just get, get in the right awards in India first? Um, there's, that's a bit of debate going on there, but you can find out all about that date on the next, um, debate on the next episode of the Push Pass Pundits. Pundits. And well uh, done. Oh, you haven't finished yet. I haven't. Female on. goalkeeper of the year, Maddie Hinch. Um, she's Congratulations. Accept- Congratulations. She's accepted that with good grace and um, acceptance that, uh, uh, you know, perhaps there's some better performing keepers out there this year who've, who've played a bit more, but she's, you know, a great goalkeeper. Well, they don't give them to themselves. So, no. You know. Uh, you know, I reckon Rachel Lynch should be up there, and so did Paul when, Godoyne when we asked him at the weekend. Male goalkeeper of the year, Vincent Van Ash of Belgium. Congratulations. Female coach of the year, Alison Annan. Congratulations. Uh, uh, it's nice that, yeah, uh, uh, the Netherlands, and Shane McLeod of Belgium. Congratulations. Nice, nice to see a couple of... Uh, Coaches from well, the Southern Hemisphere leading top European nations. Uh, where, where's your coach? Excuse me. Where's your coaching programs in the Netherlands and Belgium? You've got to pick up all these international coaches. Just, just on that with the coach of the year. I know that we talk about how this is a popularity award, and it, I'm really pleased that both of those coaches got voted because in a World Cup year, uh, they weren't voted for oh, by the they? public though. Okay. No, that's oh, a, yeah, that's a different panel. I, I would say in a World Cup year. The coach of the year for both men and women should automatically be the coach that takes the wins the World Cup. Yeah. That that should be the no-brainer award. Yeah, yeah. Every year there's a every World Cup year. I don't know if the same should apply to the Olympics because I think the Olympics is a tournament that's outside of the hockey um, family to yeah. a degree. It's a mul- it's not a hockey event. It's a multi-sports yeah, event. Yeah. So you c- we could argue and debate whether the Olympic gold medal winning coaches should automatically get that coach of the year award I would say no but others might disagree uh, and then, look it's interesting there's that weighting of 75% towards players and peers and 25% to the voting public um, from what I understand certainly one nation uh, the players didn't get a vote at all because somebody didn't pass on the uh, the requisite no, paperwork I, I think the players from that nation made it quite clear who they were though didn't they oh just check it out online that's right uh, Say no more. And just finally, there, uh, male umpire of the year, uh, Marcin Groschal, and the female umpire of the year, Michelle Meister. And congratulations to you, umpires, as well. Indeed. Uh, that's about it. was good on the weekend, didn't you think? Yeah, fantastic. Oh, mate, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no dramas. Had a just... chat to um, the New Zealand fellow, I forgot his name off the top of my head, who, oh. um, umpire after the game. Had a really good chat. Now I can't remember his name. How embarrassing. Uh, Finally, before we go, big shout out to YMCA Hockey Club in Dublin. They got promoted into the uh, EY, the Ernst Young Hockey League, the national division there last season. Uh, And over the weekend, they had their very first win in the uh, Irish top 
league oh, really? uh, a 4-1 four, four, win over Cookstown uh, takes them off the bottom of the table uh, oh, so Wowden well YMCA uh, big shout out to Johnny Dival. Uh that's his home club back there oh, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, very, that, very happy David Tomlinson there that you, was it there you go yeah, I no, you it get, was, it, get it eventually it was great to catch up I had a really good chat with David and um, yeah well done he, he had a great day he thought it was a fantastic experience so um, yeah, good to, as you said earlier, press the flesh with a few people. Yeah. Alfred, great to meet you too, big fella. Yeah. Oh, we've got a great hockey family, haven't we? Oh, we do. It's fantastic. And, of course, uh, Kevin Johnson, he's uh, he's off to China, and then he's got to go back and clean some nappies and uh, take on a few duties back at home. Thank you, Mrs. Johnson, for making us aware of uh, that situation. <laughs> yeah. like, we, like we said on, on Twitter, he, he didn't want to talk about hockey at all. He just said he was missing the smell at home, oh, couldn't yeah. wait to get back involved and maybe let you have a few nights off. Go out with the girls, have some fun. Yeah, you've just dobbed him in big time there, haven't you? <laughs> Thank you for joining us once again, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, if you like what we're doing, if you want to support the Global Hockey Podcast, you want to support the Push Pass Pundits, you want to support Totally Pro League and everything else that we're trying to do and get hockey onto the airwaves, you can get on to patreon.com forward slash the reverse stick. We love your support. Just a few bucks to help us out, pay the bills and make sure we can keep bringing you as much as we possibly can in the world of hockey every single week. And do let us know what you would like to hear in Totally Pro League. Uh, I've got... Uh, <coughs> yeah, that was a Simon Mason impression. <laughs> <coughs> Did you leave that at the end? No. Shit, no. Um, <coughs> <coughs> Do you... Uh, catch the CEO of Hockey Australia on the weekend oh, with our eyes met briefly yeah you mean your eyes met his daggers 